And you could turn to Genesis chapter number four this morning. And before we get to that, I, I do want to make a special announcement and ask you, church, to be in prayer for a church and a pastor that is dear to our church's heart. Uh, the pastor of Victory Baptist Church in Lakin, just down the road from us, is Pastor Kenton Connor, and he lost his daughter this week to suicide. And we want to pray for their family. We want to bless their family. And so there's two ways our church is going to do that. Number one, there's a card at the back table, and I want to ask all of those of you who'd be willing to pray for their family in the coming weeks, months, and even years uh, to sign something on that card, maybe write a note. We want to just send them a card that just lets them know that there are other people around here who care about them through this difficulty. And so I want to ask you, church, to get by and sign that card at the back table. And then if you want to be a tangible blessing through a monetary gift to their family, you could just fill out an offering envelope, write Connor family or whatever on there. Uh, Brother Mark, our treasurer, will make sure that gets in the right place and we'll send that to them. Uh, I know there's funeral expenses and all sorts of things that go with this. Many of you are familiar with, with what goes on when you lose a loved one. And so we want to be a blessing uh, to, their, to their family at this time. And so church, I hope that you'll rally around them, be praying for the funeral that will happen tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. and uh, pray that Christ and his gospel will be lifted up through that. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like, and I've said this before in the last couple of weeks, that, that in the last couple of months, death has been, I think, more of a present reality in our community and in the lives of our church family than I've ever noticed before in, in my time in Western Kansas or even in my life. That it seems like there's so many different people who've passed away, teenagers who've died unexpectedly in our communities. And, and so really the message this morning I think is an important one because all of us as people, whether you're a Christian or not, we all have to deal with the reality of death. And many of you have dealt with it many times and are continuing to deal with it again. That's why we're having our Walking Through Grief Sunday on September 10th. And why I'd encourage all of you to be there because specifically on that day, we're going to be talking about how to work through grief. And grief is not a one month or a one year or even a one decade process. It is a lifelong journey. And we're going to be focusing on that. There's a lot of ways people deal with death. There's a lot of ways we try to deal with it. Some people try to deal with the pain of death by ignoring death itself and focusing on quality of life. That seems a lot more of something we can control. And so that's why one man said that it's not death man should fear, but he should fear never beginning to live. Some of us deal with death by humor. Say the laughter is like a medicine to the soul. And that's why I think Ben Franklin said it like this, that nothing in this world is certain except death and taxes. And ain't that the truth? I think some try to deal with death by ignoring it. That's what the Hindu scriptures point their followers to do. They say death is as sure for that which is born as birth is for that which is dead. Therefore, grieve not for what is inevitable. 
You know, we could try all we want to ignore death, to laugh at death, to focus even on life instead of death. But I think all of you have been through life long enough to know that none of those strategies ultimately work very well. Because none of those things can help cure the pain and the inevitability of death. As we've studied Genesis the last couple of weeks, I think we've become well acquainted with death. It shows up a lot in our accounts and none more than the passage that we're going to read this morning. Last week, we saw the reality that sin has not gotten less since Adam. It has grown and become bigger since Adam. We saw the escalation of sin and the death and the pain that it brings into our world. And so we should not be surprised that the same way God promised death for the original sinner, God brings death upon all sinners. But even in the midst of that dark reality, this passage this morning, though it, it, you'll find out very quickly it's a very strange one, brings such tangible hope In the passage we're going to read this morning, God is going to show you and me how we can escape death. How we can have hope in the face of death. How even though the first four chapters of Genesis are of a good world gone bad, that not all good is gone. There is still hope and there is still light and there is still life for those who desire to escape death and the curse of sin. I think the question that really drives us into our passage this morning is this. How do we escape the reality of sin and death? And in our passage, God will give you and give me two tangible hopes that are promised to his people in the midst of a world filled with pain and death. We're gonna read our passage this morning, which begins in chapter four of Genesis in verse number 26. Sorry, verse number 25. And it's gonna go all the way down through chapter five, verse 32. And we're gonna read a good chunk of it. Now, I want to make a a cliff note before we begin the passage. You're going to notice in this passage that there are claims that there are men who live to be over 900 years old. Even someone who wants to believe the Bible looks at something like that and says, well, that seems a little bit of a strange claim because that is not just a little bit longer than how people live today. It is way longer than how long people live today. And that's why in your bulletin, I've attached an addendum because I don't want to preach for an hour and a half this morning. I'd rather preach for my normal slot or so. And so in your bulletin, you have a handout that explains the different biblical views people take on these long lifespans. And I think all three that are listed there are fair to the Bible and biblical. And why I personally am going to take the approach this morning as believing that these are literal ages of these men, that these men did live to be this long. And there's a lot of reasons I believe that. I don't have time to cover all that. That's why you have that piece of paper in your bulletin. But let's look in Genesis 4, verse 25 this morning. And we're going to read 
what is called a genealogy. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't wake up every morning thrilled for the Bible passages that are genealogies. But I want to train you a little bit this morning that when you encounter lists like this in the Bible, to look for two different things. Look for the things that the author repeats over and over, and look for the times that he deviates from his pattern. And so as we read this passage, I think you'll get a glimpse of what God is trying to communicate when you look for the things that God repeats, and you look for the things that deviate from what the author was saying over and over and over again. Let's begin reading in Genesis 4, verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Here's the formal genealogy beginning here. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years, and begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And Seth lived 105 years, and he begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. And Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were 905 years and he died. You're not asleep yet, are you? All right, let's continue reading. Verse 12. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalalel. And Canaan lived after he begat Mahalalel 840 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. And Mahalalel lived 60 and five years and begat Jared. And Mahalalel, say that 10 times fast, lived after he begat Jared 830 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalalel were 890 and five years and he died. Let's skip down to verse 21. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. In all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years and Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived 180 and seven years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 and two years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. And Lamech lived 180 and two years, and he begat son, and he called his name Noah, saying, this same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 595 years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Lamech were 770 and seven years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> I think you probably noticed that the repeated word 
in this genealogy is what? Died. And he died, and he died, and he died. In fact, they died even though they lived a really, really long time. And it's against that backdrop of death in this very strange genealogy that God gives us two hopes when we face the reality of death. Here's the first one. Number one, God gives us the hope of a walk with God. We know this, that sin banished mankind from the fullness of God's presence. That it was in the Garden of Eden that God intended to walk with Adam. But what's interesting to me is that though mankind had been driven out from the garden, and though it was in the garden that man walked with God, that it is said in this passage in multiple times, in multiple ways, that men still could walk with God. Look at verse 26 of chapter number four. It begins to give us this idea that even though there was sin and death, that men still desired a relationship with the Lord because in verse 26, it, it describes Enos and that it was in the time of Enos that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, I'm not sure what all that means exactly other than that God began to be worshipped in a regular way by the line of Seth at the time of Enos. They were calling upon the name of the Lord. They were praying and worshiping more regularly than they had before. But the very centerpiece of chapter number five is the story of a man named Enoch. In verse number 22 and 24, Moses breaks his pattern once again when he introduces Enoch. And you expect it to be the same like all the other ones. Enoch had, a, Enoch had a son at this many years. He lived this many more years and he died. And then Moses throws us for a loop because he says in verse number 24 or 22, and Enoch walked with God. Verse 24, it says again, and Enoch walked with God. Now, I'm not sure exactly what this means. I don't suppose that it means that Enoch walked side by side with the Lord, maybe in the same way that Adam did. But we know this, that God's presence in some way was enjoyed by this man, Enoch. That in some way, Enoch could have fellowship with God, even though he was not in the Garden of Eden. That he could have a relationship with God that was daily, right? Several of you couples in here, you walk regularly with your spouse or with a friend. And that idea of just walking together communicates that there's friendship and fellowship. And the Bible also tells us that people cannot have fellowship unless there's agreement. So as Moses is describing this man, Enoch, who walks with God, he's describing us a man who has fellowship with God, a relationship with God that is regular in its nature, and a man that is in agreement with God on certain things. This is tremendous. Because we would have expected this to end when Adam and Cain were driven out from Eden, and yet here is Enoch, not because um, God just chose him specially because he wanted to. He wanted to walk with God. And because he wanted to walk with God, he walked with him regularly. And he had fellowship with God and agreement with God. And he was allowed to be with God in this special way regularly. Christian, 
person in the pew that understands that we live in a sinful world and you've sinned in the same way Adam did and sin separates us from God, I wanna remind you this morning that it's not just Enoch who could have a walk with God, you can too. God desires for all people to have a walk with him. He wants all people to regain the fellowship with him that was lost in the Garden of Eden. And the Bible is very clear that for you and I, the way that we regain this fellowship with God that Enoch enjoyed, and then in chapter six, verse nine, it says that Noah walked with God as well. The way that we regain that fellowship is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians chapter number two, verse six on the screen. It shows us that we cannot receive a walk with God unless we receive Christ as our savior. It says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. There's good news and there's bad news here. The bad news is, is that you have no fellowship with God apart from Christ. Meaning that if you want to reject his son and turn away the son of God, God has no fellowship with you. You will never walk with him if you will reject his son. But the good news is, is that if you have received the Son of God, Jesus Christ, if you've called upon him in the same way that Enos began to call upon the name of the Lord, that he can save you and restore the walk with God that was lost in the garden. And I think the, the imperative, the, the command of this verse should ring in our ears, Christians. If you've received the Lord Jesus Christ, walk in him. Walk with God. And I fear this morning, there are Christians dotted all across churches in America who have received Christ but don't walk with him. They have a relationship, but no fellowship. They have received Christ in their hearts, but they have no regular fellowship with him. You realize I have a relationship with Shelby 24-7 since the day I, I married her? We've had a relationship ever since. But we don't have fellowship every moment of the day. See, the difference between relationship and fellowship is intentionality. You can't have fellowship without intentional planning. Fellowship is set aside time. Fellowship never happens on accident. It always happens on purpose, and there are so many Christians who enjoy a relationship with God, they see it maybe as fire insurance saving them from the fiery depths of hell, and they're glad, and they praise the name of Jesus, but there is no regular communion because there's no intentional planning to have fellowship with God. Christian, I wonder if you have a way of regularly walking with God every single day. I've once asked a Christian that and they begin to describe to me that they pray before their meals. Friend, I hate to break it to you and I'm not trying to be too unkind, but I'm just saying that praying to God before meals and counting that as fellowship is saying that smiling at your spouse across the kitchen is fellowship. It ain't. 
It doesn't, you don't build a relationship by smiling across the house at somebody. You build a relationship by intentional time together. And the reality is, is that it is statistically proven that most Christians don't spend time in fellowship with God. In 2019, there was a survey done that less than one third of Protestants read their Bible regularly. What does that tell me? If that statistic is not inflated, which I think it is, that two-thirds of Christians have a relationship, but little to no fellowship with God. I wonder what stands between you in a regular fellowship with God in his word. Christian, lovingly, I would just want to help you this morning. No excuse is acceptable. No excuse is acceptable. There is no reason that every Christian here should not be reading the Bible. Every Christian here should read their Bible regularly. I give you a lot of tips, and I'd be happy to. That'd be the, my favorite conversation I could have on your way out the door, is to teach you some different ways to help you start that habit, because it can be challenging to build. But I just want to help you this morning and motivate you this morning. You have no excuse to ignore fellowship with God. He has created you to walk with him. He has saved you to walk with him. So walk with him. Open up the Bible tomorrow. Open up his word and discover that he wants to walk with you throughout its pages. And here's what I could tell you. Sunday church is great, but Monday through Saturday Christianity is what makes it all the while. My walk with God personally is one of the most enriching things in my entire life. I would trade it for anything. We can have off days as a church and low days as a church, but every day when I crack open the word of God, God's there just the same. It's not affected by this person or that person, their lack of attendance or their bad spirit. Nope, every time it's just me and God and nothing can change that. Friend, if your Christianity does not involve a regular walk, start tomorrow, you're missing out. You're missing out when you don't pray with God and you just have quick prayers in your drive to work, which in Garden City often is three minutes long. Friend, walk with him. Maybe while you walk physically, walk spiritually. That's often one of the times I get in a lot of my prayer time is I go walking and I walk with God while I'm walking and pray. Whatever it is, friend, stop cutting yourself slack. Start walking with God. One of the ways that you could stare death and sin in the face and show that Satan has not won is by a regular walk with God. Every day you walk with God, you are trampling on the head of Satan. And you are showing that he has not won the battle. Christian, walk with him. That is our hope. That's our first hope is that no matter what happens in this world, no matter how much sin has cursed this earth, God's people can walk with him. But what Enoch's story shows us, and listen very carefully at verse 24, that a walk with God is more than just a temporary benefit. What Enoch shows us in verse number 24 of chapter five is that a walk with God is the very means for you to have eternal life. Look at verse 24. It's almost understated, isn't it? And Enoch walked with God and he was not. He didn't die. He just was not. Why? For God took him. 
What's the second hope that you have in the face of sin and death? You have the hope of eternal life by walking with God. That is those who have a walk with God that will one day not see death, but see eternal life. Genesis is a little bit understated about Enoch's death, but Hebrews 11 is not. Hebrews 11 is very clear that when Enoch was, was not, the Bible uses the word he was translated, meaning that in an instant, he went from life to life. That he did not die, he just was changed. It reminds me of what Paul says for the believer that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's just a translation, it's just a change in status. And in this passage, there are a lot of men who died and died and died and died. And I'm not saying they didn't have a walk with the Lord, but I think Enoch's example is preserved for us so that we can see that it is those men who walk with God. It is those women who have a walk with God through Jesus Christ. Those are the ones who inherit eternal life. Those are the ones who do not see death. I wonder if Paul was reflecting on Genesis 5 when he says in Romans 5 verse 21 that death reigned as a king from Adam until Moses. And it seems as though Enoch in his walk with God was in some way regaining access to the tree of life that mankind forfeited in the garden. That by walking with God and fellowshipping with God and being translated into his presence in just a moment, Enoch was was an early picture of how God would once and for all overcome death with eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. Genesis is making it clear in Genesis 5 that there is a connection between the hope of eternal life and the present reality of those walking with God. We could say it this way, that the best way to know who has eternal life is those who are walking with God. It's the same thing with Noah. Because at the end of the chapter, we see Noah is introduced in this genealogy and it doesn't remark that he died. It just says he was 500 years old. And then in chapter six, verse number nine, or verse number eight, it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it says in verse number nine that Noah walked with God. And then just like the genealogy, it shows the sons that he had in verse number 10 of chapter six, giving us the impression that Noah himself was going to escape the death that all of humanity was facing. And don't we know the situation that happened in Genesis six, seven, and eight, that Noah did escape death. He was saved. Why? Because he walked with God. This morning, you don't walk with God because you want to as much as you walk with God because you've received the grace of Christ to do so. And it is those who will receive Christ who can have the hope of eternal Life with God. Eternal life is the promise God has given to every believer in Christ. I love 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 21 on the screen. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, and isn't that what chapter five is all about? Just like Adam died, 
They all died. But the resurrection of Christ shows us that so in Christ shall all be made alive. That our only hope in the face of death is Christ alone. That if you want to overcome death and not face death the same way that you might fear to face death, that it'll be the end of you. The only way you can overcome death is by being in Christ, by being in the one who resurrected from the grave, by being in the one who overcame death himself. And in Christ, we all have the hope of eternal life. That's why, Christian, you and I, we we could maybe wish that we could have a longer life on this earth. But if you are in Christ, you have no reason to fear death. Death is just a translation, a change from life into life. You have every hope that if someone dies in the Lord, that their death was like Enoch in the sense that it was just a transformation into life that is more glorious than they ever lived on this earth. I want to speak to those who've lost a loved one to death who was in Christ. There's great hope if you've lost someone who's in Christ. The Bible is very clear that Christians who lose loved ones still sorrow. There's still grief. That's why we have Walking Through Grief Sunday, because there are Christians in this room who I know deal with grief. And I want you to know, as your pastor, I understand. There's no judgment here. If your loved one died 10 years ago, the grief can be so real some days. I know that. Friend, if they're in Christ... Think about how their death was much like Enoch's. You know what's interesting to me in this this chapter? I just thought about this this morning as I was reading it. The man with the shortest lifespan in Genesis 5 was the man who walked with God. And I wonder what his kids felt like when he died or rather when he was resurrected. Don't you think they had sorrow too? I'll ask this side. Don't you think they had sorrow too when Grandpa Enoch was gone? And it's so interesting to me that the one who was untimely taken away was the man who walked with God. And that's how it feels for us sometimes, isn't it? All of us who are left behind are like, why didn't he take me first? Why did he take them? They were walking with God. They they didn't do anything wrong. There's a whole lot of other people who should have died before them. And I can't explain all of that. I can't explain the why. We will never know the why. We'll never know it. That's why the only logical step for you to do, if you can't explain the why, is to trust in the who. To trust that God knows and God cares and God is sovereign and God is all wise. And so if you, can, if you spend your life trying to figure out the why, you'll never get there. But if you decide one day to trust in the who, God will bring peace like he could have never brought you in the other scenario. But if you've lost an Enoch in your life, no, you can be sad when they're gone. 
God is okay with grief. It's a reality in a fallen world. But I thought, I thought as I was preparing this that death in a lot of ways, it's like we're taking the hand of a loved one and we're just handing them off from our hand to the hand of the God whom they walked with on this earth. It's not fun to let go. But friend, if your loved one died, trust if they are in Christ that they took the hand of God and are living in a way that is greater than you and I can live. So that sounds, sounds like an empty hope or it sounds like you know what religious people do to make themselves feel better. And I said this once and I'll say it again. That I believe in the resurrection of a believer because I believe in the resurrection of Christ. And that if his resurrection is real, that offers me something tangible and something real when it comes to my life and to those who die too early. There's a lot more we could say about that, but I'd encourage you to be here on September 10th when we talk about how to walk through grief. And and maybe for some of you, I have copies of this book available. We'll make them available for free as well on uh, September 10th. There's a book I'd like to give any of you if you want it called How to Get Through What You'll Never Get Over. And that's written by someone who has a lot more experience with this type of grief than I do. And here's what I just want to remind you. That when we remember death in this way, some of the bitter waters of death, though they're not perfectly better, there's a sweetness to it that cannot be promised to those who do not have Christ. So here's what we know. Our world is sin-cursed. There's death that happens too early. There's death that happens too severely. There's sin that separates us from God, that interferes with the relationship God wants to have with us, but yet in the midst of all of that, There are two hopes. The hope of a walk with God. And one of the best ways that you can experience the grace of Christ and experience the victory of Christ is by taking advantage of the walk he has purchased for you. If you have received Christ, Christian, walk in him. Walk in him. Walk in him. But number two, we have the hope of eternal life for those who will walk with the Lord. Doesn't make death easy, but it does give us more hope. As Paul says, we, don't, we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. We sorrow with hope. And the reality is true that when your day comes and my day comes, hey, I still wanna have a long life on earth, Maybe I'm unspiritual. But when my day comes, I'm so looking forward to instead of walking with God with almost a little bit of a barrier here, to just walking with him with no barriers there. Every head bowed and every eye closed. There's so many ways we could respond to the message this morning, but I, I, I have a feeling that, number one, it's embracing the promise of eternal life.
But I, I really am burdened that there are Christians who don't walk with God. They don't have a, a daily fellowship with him. And, and I want that for you, Christian. I want you to enjoy that. Maybe even in this time of prayer, you could repent of lack of, lack of walk with God, but you could say, you know what? How am I going to walk with him tomorrow? Just make a plan right there in your seat. How am I going to walk with him tomorrow? Where am I going to pray? When am I going to pray? What am I going to read? Where, where, where's my Bible going to be? Where am I going to sit down? Where am I going to turn to? What am I going to do to walk with God tomorrow? God wants so much to walk with you because he loves you so, so much. Let's spend some time praying.